This is podcast 133 and is entitled Brandy Station. Recently, I was reading a document regarding an amenity locally in which the word interpretive signage, the phrase interpretive signage, kept recurring. And uh, this um, is a concession to current parlance in which there is a tremendous um, didacticism in everything. You have to be constantly told everything. Everybody is constantly telling people what to do and what they should think, and they don't know they're doing it, but you're being treated as a child. I remember um, Auburn Waugh was uh, describing a transatlantic 
plane journey just a few years ago, actually, not long ago, actually. And he was so upset, this very, very learned Englishman, with the way he was um, treated as a child constantly on the flight. And that was even in the days before there were no smoking bans, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and there is a kind of puerile a kind of affect that you have when you're in the hands of the mood currently in which you're constantly being told what to think and do. And so... This podcast, I hope, is an alternative to that because it allows you to uh, decide what you think and uh, where you're going with it and how to interpret and what the associations are. And you'll note in this podcast on Brandy Station, which I'll simply say right now uh, is the name of a um, town in Virginia where a battle was fought not too far from Culpeper in 1863 before the Battle of Gettysburg that um, was bloody and a cavalry exchange, and the name is why I uh, um, chose that battle, because it is also a battle to talk about both creativity and peace and war, although this is not a political podcast remotely, but it does talk about resistance, and it does talk a little bit about opposition in human affairs and in emotional life. And finally, um, the reference uh, is, um, without interpretive signage, to a song called, I think it's called um, Jimmy Loves Mary Ann that you've just listened to by the group Looking Glass. Now, Looking Glass is really worth attention because this group, <clears throat> which had one very famous hit and very tender and sweet and I think absolutely beautiful, sympathetic uh, song called Brandy, Looking Glass uh, had a sound that was entirely different from what commercially became its successful signature song, Brandy. Um, you'll have to do some work on YouTube and uh, iTunes yourself and get your own thoughts about this. But uh, what is so great about creativity is that in addition to Brandy, which is one of these songs that you can never forget once you hear it, and I'm looking at the original single that somehow ended up in my connection which, by the way, was in stereo. The single is better than the LP version because the single has a different kind of balanced stereo and is really wonderful. It's a beautiful, tender song about a young girl, or young woman, we should say, named Brandy, who works at a bar in a seaport. And uh, you all remember that song, but what's interesting about Brandy is that it's it uh, the aftermath of it reveals the tremendous... Uh, I want to say curl you. Is that the right word? Kind of the, not the word labyrinth. Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, gyre, widening gyre of the creativity of God in human inspiration. Because not only is most of the work of Brandy in a completely different genre of music, but what many do not realize is that they had a follow-up hit that I think was like number 45 or something not long after it, in which they did duplicate without quite the power, their single, Brandy, in a song called Jimmy Loves Mary Ann, which is a sweet, wonderful, um, laid-back 70s hit. But let's not put any kind of um, category on it. It's just a great song. Not as good as Brandy, but I use it because it shows the widening gyre of creativity. Because, you know, if you actually start looking, you can find so much that is good. Once you see the creative spark <clears throat> working in people, there's so much underneath it. In other words, it's like the, the iceberg that hit the Titanic or vice versa because the iceberg, we only see the tip of the iceberg, but underneath there's this enormous and vast, uh, you know, like I used to say about the Tommyknockers, the spaceship that's like 400 yards long that however all the 
all the young woman who's gardening in her sort of vegetable garden sees is a little kind of a, a, a gets nicked on a tiny little um, flyer of it that's sticking out of the ground about two inches. Uh, and uh, so um, the point here is that the creativity of God is vast and case in point is Jimmy Loves Marianne by Looking Glass. So just to tell you that things are deep, it's like if you study the group, uh, oh, what is it that did... Uh, got a date with a pretty ballerina. I think it's called the Left Bank, B-A-N-K-E, and all the different uh, permutations of that creative uh, artist that uh, was involved in that group and later groups and earlier groups. Or you can look at this with any number of other creative people who put new clothes on old um, on old um, um, portable valets or uh, old scarecrows. Uh, you know, there's a scene in... Um, Separate Tables with David Niven. I think he got an Academy Award nomination, if not an Oscar for it, uh, in Terrence Radigan's uh, play. But he played the, the part of the major in the um, Hollywood movie. And they made a mistake in the uh, filming of it, and they didn't get a shot, a vital shot of him coming into the room. Um, at the end, it's such an important scene, and he, it was too late to get him back. So they had to kind of make a kind of a, a, a dummy of him, not a, not a, a, a an extra or a double, but a dummy of him wearing the same clothes, kind of in the background. And if you look really closely, it's not a person. It's a kind of portable valet with his blue blazer and sort of a funny head on top, a wax figure. But that they had to, in order for the continuity to work, they had to refilm it with a kind of dummy with clothes. Well. Um, that's what happens with creativity. The 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 person uh, puts on different clothes and uh, then becomes part of a new group. Well, you have it uh, powerfully with Brandy and Jimmy Loves Marianne, and uh, you'll always find more underneath the iceberg of creativity, through the raspberries and Eric Carmen. There's always more that you find, and this uh, leads me to talk about God. Now, I won't talk about... Um, Scott Walker, even though he concludes the podcast with his song from Scott Four, 1969, entitled Angels, I think it's called Angels of Ashes, and this song sums up the um, the deeply, he would not use the word religious, but how can you not when you hear the song, I would say the um, deeply God-referenced um, integrative theologia crucis um assimilative, synthetic character of the nature of the victory that comes from defeat and the nature of hope that comes from the reunion of opposites and the end of opposition uh, and the inclusion of uh, and the reconciling together of uh, of Gegenstand, uh, of, of, of circumstances that face one another. Um, this song is uh, a monument to what I'm really trying to say, but underneath all the creativity is a being uh, that uh, prospers and thrives in his uh, connectedness to human experience. Ugh, I can't believe I use the word connectedness, but I, I use it advisedly, so don't please say gag me with a spoon. I use it with some thought. Shall we say the unity rather than the conflictual character of human um, hope and growth. This uh, creative God who works with Looking Glass and Jimmy Loves Mary Ann and then works with uh, really um, sort of 
awesome continuity in the life of the artist Scott Walker for 50 years. I mean, go back and listen to The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. Extraordinary work of high genius. And uh, and then listen to um, some of his newer work, which no one will like as much. But on the other hand, it's still going. This is God. Now, God uh, comes into the world not to condemn the world, uh, but to reduce the oppositional character of human affairs, which is the old-fashioned word for that is sin, and create a oneness where there was um, polarity. And uh, that's where I really uh, want to speak for just a minute um, I was uh, reading the uh, speech that was um, delivered by, and that's really the only word for it, it's very long, that was delivered by Martin Luther King, I want to say in 1968. It was one of his very last major um, presentations, and it was delivered in Riverside Church in New York. People immediately will, you know, they use categories. They'll say the high temple, the the, the high priestly um, edifice of liberal American Protestantism. The other day I was reading, someone was uh, talking about um, a major American institution, and they said this is this represents the establishment uh, of such a, this, this particular person who was having a role in, I think, the inauguration of our president, um, because this person came from a uh, a particular institution, uh, the reporter said this institution representing the the establishment, uh, um, the, the ultimate liberal establishment within American Protestantism. Now, I've been to that particular institution recently, and whatever it may have, quote, represented once, it is not what it once was. That is to say, it is what it is, but to call it anything remotely an establishment would be um, – would be really um, misrepresentation. It is not that. It is many things, many interesting, and some very good things, and some um, very angry things. But whatever it is, to call it um, the high temple or something like that, the the temple of of, of an establishment, is to really uh, to, to to really destroy its reality through some kind of a pigeonhole or categorization. Now. Um, the uh, speech, however, was delivered by Dr. King at Riverside Church, and it is an amazing performance relevant to the Vietnam War. <clears throat> and if you're willing to decontextualize it, which you easily can do because it applies to any time of um, warfare in any country's life and existence, it could apply just as well to like, Flanders Field as it could apply to Brandy Station um, you're a fine girl, what a good wife you could make. Oh, what a song. And by the way, if on the video of Looking Glass performing that, which you'll see, there's a YouTube video from the actual days when the band Looking Glass performed the song. I think it's live. And if you can tell me exactly what character of a garment the uh, lead uh, singer is wearing, Mary and I have discussed this at great length over the years. Is it a sari? Is it a really just a very... Um, very wide uh, pair of bell bottoms. Uh, is it a skirt? Uh, I think it's probably a, a, a very uh, widely cut pair of bell bottoms, but a case can be made. <laughs> now, um, the uh, um, question of the brandy stations in life is dealt with here when Dr. King says that the answer to human conflict is to... Um, stand in the foot of the enemy, which is an old idea, but he does it in a way that must have been extremely uncomfortable 
for his listeners because it would draw upon himself uh, tremendous accusations, sort of the Jane Fonda type of uh, accusations of that era because he basically makes the case for both what the North Vietnamese are doing and what the Viet Cong are doing. He actually tries to build a case for their um, understanding of what they're doing against the American um, uh, military in South Vietnam. And uh, it, it's a, an astonishing kind of put, you know, walk a mile in my shoes, you know. Uh, and uh, he basically makes a case for the um, Ho Chi Minh's uh, movement. And I thought to myself, um, let's think about Algeria just for a second. What if he took the approach that he does to try to understand why it is that these people are fighting us in Vietnam. And he goes very far with it. He finally says, um, what does he say now? Um, we must put ourselves, this is a direct quote, we must put ourselves, this I believe is the paragraph of the mightiest value in this really, um, ultimately I think it will be an enduring statement about the nature of war and peace. He says, if we could only put ourselves, so he, that's a paraphrase, into the um, places, and this is of the brothers of our brothers who are called the opposition. Our brothers who are called the opposition. Now he's talking about those who are actually fighting uh, American soldiers in a ground war. Now, I thought to myself, what in the world, what would happen if, if, if you could put yourself in the, in the place of, a, of the people, for example, that um, committed the terribly cruel an atrocious, appalling attack on the oil refinery in Algeria. Now, um, we don't do that because of the character of the offense. But what if you put yourself in the shoes of, in the mind of the person who was so um, committed to this course of action that they were willing to do this appalling action, which resulted in their own deaths, as well as many, many others, what would, it, what would it mean to not categorize the person? But, because we're all human. I mean, you, can you not imagine yourself <clears throat> getting so upset by something that was unjust that you would dedicate your entire life, especially put yourself into the, the sort of body of a young man, you know, who otherwise would be playing an Xbox, but who sees an enormous injustice in his mind accomplished against his family or his people or his mother <coughs> or his brother, and put that, the lightning, the, the, the light the match there of commitment to a course of action. And you can get in really the mind of almost anyone except perhaps a, 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 a psychotic person, even there, if you've seen Michael Mann's uh, great uh, um, movie, what's it called? I always forget it. Not Thief. It's the other one, the amazing one about the serial killer. Even then, they're able to catch the serial killer um, by finally putting themselves, this one investigator, into the mind of, I think his name is uh, Francis Dollarhide, the killer. And he, he, even there, he can put his, himself into the, into the mind, empathetically, of this serial killer. And they catch him, thank God. Now, my point is, um, when uh, we think of the enemy as the, um, as the brother who is called the opposition, now think about the implications of that. Think about the significance of being able to do that. Think about the, uh, if I may say, the basic Christianity of that. And yet, oddly enough, the sort of, it flies in the face of Christian experience. I'm so aware in the case of, uh, of the, of the um, 
what would have been called the culture wars, and now almost still, it, it, there's still war going on in the context of, say, my own uh, traditional side of the Episcopal Church, <clears throat> and to see the extent to which the, quote, warfare is being carried on and on all sides i mean it's not it it, it, it the, the, you know on every side when you see the degree to which the war among christians has come i've thought a lot about that i've i've wondered where does it come from where does the where does it where in christianity is it just as we often ask the question rightly where in the islamic religion or in what sector of islam could the um could the attitudinal um, uh, portable valet where you hang your rage, where could that portable valet or the hanger upon which you can hang a young man's rage, where in the attitude of the religion could that be found? Well, it is there. I mean, these things all have a gestation point. They're like there's a little grain of sand around which the pearl grows in the in the shell. And the uh, same must be true of Christianity. It must be that there is an element of... Uh, of polarity and of a conflict that is there with the territory. I, I get sometimes, you know, appalling letters um, from individuals of all sorts uh, who are take offense at one thing or another, or certainly I've received that in the past, who are people of, of real Christian uh, feeling and uh, uh, lovely people, people of compassion and kindness and goodness and grace and understanding. And then I'll get some kind of a, of a, of a kind of emission from a part of that person that is also coming out of a kind of place of religious feeling. And I don't want to go the sort of worldly way of saying forget the whole business, because in fact, human nature itself, without religion, is capable of unbelievable malice and uh, uh, cruelty and murderous rage. Uh, we've seen that in all sorts of non-religious views, and a lot of the people I talk to who are sort of, you know, crusading atheists are unbelievably no prisoners taken, have a talk about attitude. So it's it predates it. What did Galsworthy say in the Nobel Prize speech that was never given but written, where he said that all um, schemes of human salvation founder on the uh, on the uh, rock of human nature, which seems to change at best at a glacial pace. Well, um, that is true in all sorts of conditions, but I also see the uh, grounds of opposition in my own religion, and it is there, and it is not a good thing, and it is something that needs to be, uh, from which we need to graduate. We may never be able to. Uh, we may have to um, really, uh, you know, goodbye to all that to a, at some level. At some level, we must have to say, kind of have to, because you see this. I was uh, reading an account of a person who'd been a uh, wonderful Christian man who'd been uh, accused of something um, in a highly polarized environment and uh, something that, that this man was later uh, uh, um, uh, completely found innocent of, uh, 100%, uh, but in a position of tremendous uh, back and forth and conflictuality within a parish. Uh, he, he was so shocked by the degree of opposition that he received, which culminated in a, a terrible... Uh, uh, process from which he was, uh, or through which he was completely uh, exculpated. Um, th this uh, man said he, his first reaction was to lose his faith in God. Now that's very interesting, and he's a good man. His first reaction was to lose his faith in God, and he was still dealing with that. Now you see, that's very uh, important that he he having seen what can happen, even in what he had thought was a 
a truly Christian, compassionate, and loving milieu, to have seen the bitterness which came out of that very same milieu and to have passed through it and survived it, his first um, normal reaction was to say, well, I don't believe this at all anymore. How could, it, how could it be true? Well, I thought about this watching a certain kind of conflictual situation emerging in a wholly another field of religion, but my own religion of late. I said to myself, well, you know, something in it's not true. I mean, if it causes this degree of, of, of bitterness, something in it, whether it's right-wing bitterness, left-wing bitterness, centrist bitterness is not the point. Any system of thought that can create this kind of bitterness has to, at some level, simply be not the case. I can't, so I can't be part of that. And I said the same in receiving letters. Uh, when I ever receive a knock that seems completely out of context with the central um, unity of uh, he came into the world not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him and forgiven us 70 times seven, the Lord said, not seven times. We, we don't do it twice, believe me. Three strikes, you're out, you know, and 70 times seven. Um, it is such odds with other aspects of, of the way the school of thought has uh, come out that you say, well, it, it simply cannot be true to that extension. So Brandy Station, what was the, uh, what, where is this going? Um, the, uh, the power of um, of uh, the uh, of the uh, of, of the uh, widening gyre of the creativity of God, as seen in Jimmy Loves Marianne, the follow-up hit to Brandy, which you've, you'll go out and listen to right now. It is so good. And by the way, there's one stereo on YouTube. You can listen to one stereo uh, recording of it. It has a little bit of an 18-second intro because the guy's doing it is is putting it on the stylus on the record, but. That 45 uh, in its original incarnation is the best way to listen to Brandy. But listen to Jimmy Loves Mary Ann again. You can go back and listen to it at the start. And then uh, say to yourself, well, this God, this ultimately, this this uh, unwaveringly or unremittingly creative God is also the God of unity because that's what creativity is. It's the end of opposition. If you've ever been blocked, look, you, me, you, you and me, we're talking here. You know, uh, if you've ever been blocked, if your potency has been blocked, if your 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 creativity has been blocked, if something is blocked by anger, if something is blocked by opposition, if something is blocked by resistance, especially in yourself, you'll know that it's got to come down in order for the potency to be restored or the love to flow or the joy to come, the the the, the wine of the new life, the Holy Spirit to to flow out in uh, infinitely uh, um, in, in in gouts g o u t s of blood of of the renewing blood and the water from the 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 the, the never failing fountain of the of the uh, elan vital of Bergson. All that it's got to come out because it's usually blocked. It's dammed up by resistance. The Battle of Brandy Station, and when it <clears throat> is unblocked, and right now it's blocked in many religions. It's certainly blocked within Christianity, and that block needs to be, it's got to be unblocked and seen for what it is, which is the block of opposition needs to be um, sort of uh, allowed to fall, you know, like in the monolith monsters, that wonderful, when the dam finally, at the end of 1955, uh, I think Sherwood directed it, the monolith monsters, and and, uh, Finally, the uh, Grant Williams is in it, and uh, finally the invading the, the stalactites or stalagmites from space, whatever they're called, are uh, are flooded and destroyed by water. Well, all of these stalagmites from space that are 
like jagged thorns in your life that create tremendous opposition and anger and polarity and resistance and, and defense and, and a counterattack reaction. All that has to be drowned uh, in the oneness of the divine um, love and reality. And therefore, we really need to really deepen out whatever religion we have. Whatever religion you have or non-religion has to be deepened out. So those tremendous forces of opposition which create murder and this is why um, King's line about the Viet Cong is the brothers who are called the opposition. Good grief. What an amazing thing to say. No wonder he tries to appeal in that speech to those deeper elements of all world religions that uh, bring us together and do not separate us and sunder us. Uh, well, uh, the conclusion then is a little bit of Scott Walker uh, in Scott 4 from 1969. This amazing um, uh, now what is the word, um, this masterpiece of, uh, of insight. And in this particular song, it's out of the ashes of uh, destroyed opposition comes the life that is most beautifully represented in its incarnation of love in the character of St. Francis. Thank you so very much, and God bless. The angels of ashes will give back your passions again and again. Their light shafts will reach through the darkness and touch you, my friend. They'll fly in a mind dance And blind you with wings Wrapped in flame If you're down to an echo They just might remember your name In the unbroken darkness Where emptiness empties alone mm. There's no starting or stopping Where there is no right or no wrong It's all right for some who can hang the absurd on their wall. If your blind hands can't grope through these measureless waters, you fall. You've been following patterns and fleeting sensations too long. And the fullness that fills up the pulse of duration 
Francis with love. 